Well, welcome to the Grants Podcast. I'm Evan Lorenz, Deputy Editor. Our guest today is Mark Cajodes. Mark is the former general partner of Rocker Partners slash Copper River. Today, he resides in Cotati, California, where he runs Alder Lang Farms and sells stock short for his own personal account. Uh, Mark, thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, Mark, how do you source and identify compelling short ideas? Well, that's, that's kind of a wide question. I, I probably, in my mind, I probably am, have 300, maybe 400 companies bopping around. I view myself sort of as a stalker. I see a lot of names. I hear a lot of stories. And being early shorting stocks is just flat out wrong. So I try not to be early, but I watch a number of things and events transpire. And I tend to have a saying, I'm not interested in climbing the tree to hunt for the jaguar. I'm very interested in someone shooting the jaguar out of the tree, the jaguar hitting the ground, and when it hits the ground, I'll take a knife and carve the thing up. So I tend to wait for a change. I tend to wait for the bull's thesis to move. I tend to wait for management's management or of some of these suspect companies to start mouthing off against shorts. So I, I probably have about eight things I look for, but unless the timing is right and I think I can jump them and carve someone up, I really have no interest in, in shorting a name. You've told me in the past that you hold few, if any, longs. How do you manage risk in your uh, portfolio, especially now in an age of ZERP and QE, when the market levitates stocks almost uh, regardless of fundamentals? Well, first of all, to me, owning longs is boring, and I have problems sleeping at night owning stocks. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm wired very differently than most. If the uh, market's going to go straight up, I tend to have some Russell hedges on. I'm long Russell calls and short Russell puts. So, you know, I think net, I'm probably about 90% short, but gross, I'm probably about 220% short. So I use some form of Russell's against some of these names in case the market keeps going. I mean, I assume the market's going to go up, but a lot of the names I'm short don't really give a rat's ass where the market is. You know, Concordia's at $1.40. It doesn't care that the market's at 21000 or whatever it is. Valiant's at 9 and change. It doesn't care where the market is. Some of these other things are... Uh, they move with the market until they blow up, and when they blow up, I get interested. But I, I tend not to be short good companies that that can go with the market. Good companies don't know who the hell I am, so or good <laughs> managements don't know who I am. So that's how I sort of play it. In another podcast we recorded today, we observed that, at least using the Case-Shiller uh, 10-year trailing um, cyclically adjusted PE, the market's only been more expensive uh, in the 1929 and in the dot-com boom than today. Um, in terms of the opportunities you're identifying, how does today's market look uh, compared to past periods? Well, I think, it's, I think it's very different. I mean, I think the opportunities, you know, that I see, the short stocks, I think are great. I mean, there's very few people out there doing it. Um, there's some outstanding bloggers slash research, um, including people on Twitter who can come up with stuff. And I think if you can identify and find a company where the earnings are too high or management's doing something wrong, 
I think there's a lot of money to be made. I think you can probably make money on longs if that's what you want to do, and I think you can make a lot of money being short stocks. So, I mean, I just, every day I wake up, there's a couple things. Every day I wake up, I think it's the last day that some of these companies I'm short are going to be in business, truly. And and I also expect the market to go up every day. So if the market ever decides to go down or correct or have some form of sobriety in it or revert to the mean, then that's all a plus. And it's, uh, you know, it's a blessing in disguise. But I always expect the market to go up. So that way I'm not disappointed. Hey, Mark, this is Jim Grant. Could you tell us uh, how the uh, the short selling community looks today as it might have compared to how it might have looked in years past? Is it, is it much reduced? What's, what's, what, what are the, um, what does the community of bears look like? I think, I think I said this, uh, Kingsford capital, and I like those guys and respect them based out here every year. They have a batting practice thing at Pac Bell park or whatever the giants park is now called. And I think when that first started, there were 200 attendees. And I think the last time I was there, I think there were 40. So it's sort of the last of the resistance. Um, there's, there are so few people left doing it. I mean, there's the great Jim Chanos. There's the great Jim Carruthers. Um, I think those guys institutionally probably manage 60% of the short bias money out there. And there's probably a few. Yeah, other pockets of resistance. But basically, everyone has been decimated. Everyone has been driven from the land. It's essentially impossible to do uh, institutionally. And as a short-only fund, I encourage others to get in the business because it shouldn't be a dying art. But everyone is against you, and which to me is always very exciting. I love being booed and hitting the ball 430 feet into the stands. But, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult road. Institutional people who put out money, they expect performance every week. Um, that's not easy to do when you short stocks. Shorting stocks, you should be able to generate significant alpha, and there are people out there who can, who can do it time in, time out. But it's, just, it's, it's a hard road to go uh, for most people, and um, it's sort of sad that the community is as has been as decimated as it has been. Mark, is there, was there, was, is I hope there, others get in this business. Mark, was, it, was there one particular or more than one particular moment of your inadvertently climbing into the tree after the Jaguar that has led you to take the approach you now take, which is waiting for the event that constitutes the break? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's an excellent question. I mean, I'm born with this mutant short seller gene, and I've seen a lot of things. In time, I mean, I remember Coleco with the atom. I remember this can't be yogurt when, you know, that was the next growth phase. I can remember American Online. I, I've remembered so many of these things. It's it's sick. And I always say early is wrong. And when you get um, various forms of axes or hatchets put in your forehead, um, I'm not one of these Harvard, Yale, Ivy League guys. I work my tail off, and I try to really only make a mistake once. I try to, you know, learn from my mistakes. And early, to me, is fatal. So I'm never interested in shorting open-ended opportunities. I'm not interested in shorting manias. I've never been short a share of Tesla in my life. 
have no interest in being short anything like that. I look for crappy companies with promotional managements who tend to pick on shorts, who tend to have horrible or rip off business models and complain about skeptics where the long or bull thesis has changed. I think that's where my greatest successes have been, and that's where I think you actually have a good chance of making money on the short side in this day and age. So by losing a lot and making mistakes in the past, I've sort of learned and refined my game going forward. Well, Mark, talking of one promotional company you mentioned to me in the past, uh, Stamps.com is a leading provider of web-based mailing and shipping solutions in the U.S. You've told me that there's something deeply and profoundly wrong with their business model. Uh, Could you tell us the story? Yeah, I'll tell you the story. Um, Along the lines of something that I've been looking at lately is companies that rip off either the consumer government, insurance companies, things like that. Take Valiant, which was ripping off and gouging insurance companies, consumers, the system, etc. They met their maker. There's been a lot written lately about Transdyne, simple TDG, about ripping off the DOD and aircraft folk. There was something written about Fleet Corps ripping off their customers. And Stamps.com, to me, is an arbitrage scheme where they, they buy resellers' cheap postal rates and resell it to their customers at a huge margin. And I think that scheme, if you will, where essentially they're – making about $200 million of EBIT from this uh, can easily revert back to the post office who's in desperate need of money. And I think stamps.com will be impaired and hit very hard. It's a very, very, very uh, simple business that doesn't grow unless they had this postal rate arbitrage opportunity going. And I think at some point in time, that's going to end. The bulls admit and know of this arbitrage, but they say it's been going on for so long, what's going to make a change? Well, what's going to make a change is the postal service is essentially on life support, and it's widely known they're going to need a bailout unless something happens. And 200 or just haircut it, $150 million per year is not chump change. And I think uh, a change is going to be at hand. I enjoy going after and finding um, schemes that sort of transfer one set of wealth where it should be going to the government to others, which I think is not going to be sustainable. Okay. Uh, Mark, just to be clear on the arbitrage, um, the USPS has offered resellers um, the ability to offer bulk discounts to people who ship in bulk, who ship very, very large volumes. 
And it seems like what um, uh, stamps.com is doing is aggregating a bunch of small buyers and capturing that um, that bulk rate and pocketing a large chunk of it itself, which violates the intent of this agreement. Is that the story? Uh, that's the story. I mean, you, the agreement is there's there's a few resellers somehow based in the great state of Utah, which has provided the opportunity and problems in the past. I mean, that's a whole different set of rules in Utah. Um, that's where I Omega's from, and my buddy who now runs who runs Overstock. I mean, there's there's all sorts of stuff in Utah. So basically, what these guys are doing is they're buying uh, discounted, very deeply discounted postal rates, and selling it back to their customers who are already USPS customers. They're pocketing the difference, and they're kicking back to the reseller the a small commission. And the spirit of the agreement with the USPS and some of these resellers was basically to take to try and go get FedEx or UPS customers and get them to switch to the to the post office. And that was the spirit in which this was done for the USPS to get market share. Instead, Stamps.com very cleverly, I must add, took this arbitrage and basically cannibalized and used existing uh, U.S. Postal Service customers and kicked this right to them. So it's not like the post office is gaining market share. They're just, they're just pocketing the cannibalization difference to their base business. And Stamps.com has been on an acquisition spree. So the more guys you acquire, the more you run through this thing. And it's sort of they're bending over and picking up free money. And people say, well, what's wrong with that? Or so what? It's not illegal. Or however people try to justify this. And I said, there's a lot. There's the court of law, and then there's the court of public opinion. And this deal with stamps.com and the postal service and this arbitrage reeks to high heaven. And I think with Donald Trump in the chair and others looking to cut waste and this, that, and the other, this 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 program can can end in 30 minutes at the at the drop of a hat, and I think something like that will have an impact to the guys who own the stock. And if and when this changes, I think the stock is going to get destroyed. I mean, just absolutely destroyed. Plus, the other thing is, what kind of stupid name is Stamps.com? <laughs> I mean, all these things, you know, back in the day, you had all these dot-com names. I mean, come up with something a little more creative than stamps.com, Postal Solutions Inc., or just, just something better than that. And the, and, the, and the insider selling here lately has just been extreme. I mean, it's just been extreme. I think the CFO has sold more than 90% of the stock. CEO greater than 50% of the stock. And I mean, this is, this is almost a 2 billion cap that to me is more than going to get cut in half. So I kind of like stamps.com a lot here. In terms of stamps.com, the short interest is elevated in this name. When you're looking at shorts and you see um, a relatively elevated short interest, how does it factor into the risk reward when you uh, approach uh, a prospective idea? I think high short interest, contrary to 
popular opinion is very, very bearish. If you look at high short interest over time at some of these crappy companies, I mean, it tends to be a who's who of guys who will no longer be in business in one to five years. So that the fact that short interest is high in this name is not a deterrent. It actually sort of turns me on. So I'm not, I'm not concerned at all about the high short interest. One thing that surprised me when I did some background reading before this call is just how much confusion there is. Um, bears point out the decline in priority mail and priority express mail um, through USPS, which seems to point out that the resellers are not generating volume. Bulls, on the other hand, point out that uh, there's rapid growth in parcel deliveries, a category that Stamps.com uh, uh, competes in, but it's not part of the reselling program. Um, why is this name so hard to understand, and why is there so much contention in it? It seems like a relatively straightforward story. It is a relative straightforward story, but when you get into these taffy pull kind of things where it becomes taste great, less filling, it's always a hugely bearer sign when management pulls the rabbit out of the hat and saying, no, it's not what the shorts are looking at. I mean, the point of, point of the matter here is, is very simple. There's resellers who get cheap rates that stamps.com sells back to its already existing U.S. Postal Service customers, and they make an arbitrage. You can explain this however you want. You can spin it, contort it, whatever. Management is selling an inordinate amount of stock up here. Two, the Postal Service is on life support and needs all the money and all the help they can get. Three, this arbitrage stinks to high heaven. Four, everyone should be on equal footing. And five, if I'm right and this arbitrage stops, I think their, their numbers will come down so hard people will not know what hit them. It'll be sort of like Khalil Mack knocking the guy's teeth out from the blind side. So I kind of like the way this thing's lining up. And the other thing is the bulls on this, right, are not exactly what I would call high-quality players. I mean, they're, you know, Craig Hallam in Minneapolis, which I call the bank of the Internet of the Midwest, should have been touting this thing. And those guys, I've... I'll take the other side of them any day of the week. So I kind of like the way this lines up. Okay. Um, well, to talk about a past success of yours, um, when you came to our conference in the fall, you discussed uh, Concordia, a Canadian pharmaceutical maker who uh, sued you for defamation. Uh, I know that you've had some interaction with them since then. Can you give us a brief update? Yeah, it was wonderful. I mean, I got on Canadian TV back in April, and I think the stock was 30 down from 80, where initially I got involved in this thing. And I, the CEO, Mark Thompson, or ex-CEO, he's since been thrown out on his ass, uh, he said he opens up his annual meeting with saying, a certain chicken farmer's chickens will come home to roost. And that's how they started the interview. And I said that this guy should focus more on his business than me, and I accused him of a bunch of nonsense. So the clown sues me for defamation in Canada. That was at 30, and now the stock's at forty. So it's been wonderful. 
I think someone in Canada called me up and said, it's very exciting. I said, what's exciting? He said, you've basically beat the stuffing out of a man without laying a hand on him. He's lost his money. He's lost his job. The company has been exposed as a, you guys fill in the blanks. He's unemployable. He's probably under all sorts of investigation, regulatory scrutiny, and he had the ill-advised sense to sue you. And, um, you know, it makes me happy. I hope he gets destroyed. He shouldn't, people shouldn't pick on skeptics for having a point of view. The market and the markets are better for having cats like me around who speak out against this stuff. And suing people to shut them up is very bad. And when he sued me, two things happened. When the process server came by the farm, I was given my son, who's disabled, a shower at his house. So the process server starts sneaking around looking for me, I guess, at 9 at night, and my wife was in the house. I guess she was just doing her thing, and she comes out, and she says, can I help you to this guy? And he says, I'm looking for Mark Cahota. She says, he's not here. When's he going to be back? She says, I don't know. What's going on? She says, have him call me. She says, why don't you just get lost? And he goes, she says, why don't you get lost? What if I was taking a shower and I was in a robe or something? He goes, you're ugly. Who'd want to see you anyway? And it's like, you stupid rat bastard. You know, you need to agitate my wife and then me. So I said, I'm really, really, really going to dig in here. And I, and I really thank Thompson because he must have thought I was some sleeping at the switch guy. And as I say, there's no greater motivator than disrespect. And, and being sued by those guys have really sort of caused me to amp up my game. I've been deposed up there, which was great. I enjoyed meeting Thompson after the deposition. I asked if I could take a picture with him and put it on Twitter, and he said no. And then I said, please. He said no. <laughs> and I said, how about pretty please with sugar on top? <laughs> he said, get out of here. And it was, it was wonderful. I mean, it took about two hours for him to finally admit that that, that uh, BioVale, which he previously worked, was a fraud. And all these other companies he was involved in were completely suspect. So I had a great time with that. I sort of, I don't enjoy getting sued, but I don't mind the tussle. And uh, the company will probably be bankrupt, in my opinion, probably before Father's Day. So it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Speaking of companies that try to shut up the shut up the critics, you told me that you've been involved with the uh, Bank of the Internet. Yeah, I'm in, I'm involved with Bank of the Internet. Symbols BOFI. I wasn't involved for a long time, and I happen to call it Bank of the Islands because they do business with some I don't know sketchy sorts. So I'm 
kind of sailing along doing my own thing, and I get call call from their outside counsel wanting to know what the short playbook or short story is. And I said, I don't even know this thing. Why do you even care? They said, well, there's a lot of false information being spread around. I said, look, I'm not involved. don't want to get involved. But I'll give the CEO some free advice. Run your business. Leave the shorts alone. Let the results prove themselves. Stock will take care of itself. And then she says, no, 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 no. He wants to meet with you. We want you to be a consultant. What's your price? I said, I have no price. I said, I would never, first of all, I don't know who's involved, but I'm not interested in any of this. She said, well, how about having lunch? What's your, your hourly rate? And it's like, I don't have an hourly rate. She goes, put a number on it. I said, fine, 15000 an hour for three hours minimum. She goes, is that what you're offering? I said, no, no, I don't want to do this. So I said, please leave me alone. So she sends me an email, and the email is, I just pulled it up. I had to say this because this is just epic. As I mentioned, we are interested in hiring you as a consultant based upon your expertise on the acquisition and use of information for trading strategies. That would require a consulting agreement with appropriate confidentiality clauses and agreeing on an hourly rate. Do you have a standard fee? Signed, Polly, T-O-W-I-L-L. And she's with an outfit called Shepard Mullen. So I said, no, no, no. So stock goes up. I guess bloggers put out something. Some guy named Aurelius, who has 50 followers on Twitter. And then I guess they send Aurelius some lawyer letter or this, that, and the other. And it's like, why are you guys picking on some guy who calls himself Aurelius, who probably operates in a garage somewhere. Leave, leave the guy alone. So I put on Twitter, if these guys are picking on Aurelius and keep mouthing on Aurelius, maybe this Aurelius is on to something. Now I think Aurelius has 3,000 followers. There's been various things written about Bank of the Islands or Bank of the Internet or whatever they call themselves. And the CEO, this guy Garabrantz, he seems so focused on the shorts that I don't know who's running his business. So my simple advice to him, since he's so focused on the shorts, is leave everyone alone, focus on your damn business, and let the chips fall where they may. So he's so fascinated with this. I have to be involved because it's one of the telltale signs. And one of my other statements is, you bet the jockey, not the horse. And this guy had a tour of duty at IndyMac back in the day, and that didn't end so well. So I'm not fond of his pedigree, and I'm not fond that he picks on innocent people, and I'm not fond that they try to pay me to dish dirt on, on the four or five skeptics that are still left on the earth. So you may not like to short stocks, 
for a living or this, that, and the other. But I sure never would be launched something like this. And the big tout on this, Ramsey at Friedman Billings, I've tangled with him many times over the years, and I like my chances against SDR and Ramsey. So, yeah, I'm involved in this Bank of the Islands, Bank of the Internet, whatever they call themselves, and Garrett Branch should keep his mouth shut and focus on his business. Okay. Uh, Mark, if I can ask you about one last topic. Yeah. The Canadian housing market seems to confound um, skeptics and bears and goes up every year. The Canadian consumer is more indebted than the U.S. consumer was in 2006 at the peak of our housing bubble. I know you've been involved in uh, various names exposing some of the difficulties up there. Could you give us your, I guess, your 50,000-foot overview of what's going on there and what there is to do for a short seller? Yeah, perfect. It's kind of a money laundering mech up in Canada. Spoken out about Vancouver, which is now cooling off because some of the adults have decided to enter the arena and put in something called the foreign buyer's tax. Uh, Toronto is now overheating. I'm not short any of the big five legitimate banks. I'm short two companies. I've been short Home Capital Group, symbol HCG, for it'll be three years coming up in the fall. Um, so I'm a long-term shorter. I shorted this thing in the mid-50s in 2014. I think it's 25, 26, somewhere in there now. Uh, the OSC is actively investigating the company. They've issued letters to people. They've been through two CEOs in the past 13 months. They just fired their replacement CEO on a Monday afternoon. Here's the great take here. They replaced him with a 70-year-old board member, lady, who was, her last gig was an executive at a potato chip company. So that's now the CEO of a distressed subprime lender in Canada. I call her the potato chip queen. Chairman of the board is an MD. I have former employees sending me unmarked letters saying that the fraud that was exposed at HomeCap at $2 billion is probably closer to 5 I have all sorts of former employees reaching out to me through my DM at Twitter and other means saying that all of the AAA, AA, single-A players, executives have left, that the place is in absolute shambles. So HomeCap's a subprime lender uh, in Canada, which is not exactly where I'd want to be. They've missed numbers 10 out of the last 11 quarters. And as you would say, in an overheating housing market, so that to me is akin to a stock market going up 30 to 50% a year, and your money manager is down five every year. So if you're a home cap and you can't make money and you can't grow your business in this environment, when things turn south, I think you're dead. So... I love it as a short. It's stock's been sick. I think it's going to get a lot sicker. I think they're being investigated seven ways to Sunday. And that's one of my plays. My other play is 
company called Equitable, EQB. Its stock's been a lot stronger. Their results optically look better, but I think their underwriting and risk and reserves are sort of for the birds. They're taking a two, two, that is, the number north of one but lower than three, BIP reserve on subprime Canadian lending, residential, with a bulk of it in Alberta. And their growth has been construction loans, which if you look back at countrywide, in the last days of Pompeii, they were growing their construction loans like Topsy. So I'm in equitable I'm in home. I'm not in the big five banks because I think the Canadian government, Aussie Bank of Canada, will protect those banks. But literally, if Home Cap went out of business tomorrow, no one would miss them. Um, and I think they will be out of business. S&P has them on rating watch negative. If they lower the rating one tick, it's below investment grade. And how many North American banks are at, you know, or about ready to go below investment grade? So I think home cap is great. It's been great. I love it as a short. Wouldn't own it on a bet. I think equitable is good. And, uh, you know, Canada is going to have some issues. My book. Okay. Well, Mark, I really do want to thank you again for speaking with us. God, it's nothing but fun, and I hope to do it again. I hope so, too. It's been our pleasure. Mark, thank you again. Well, thanks, Evan. Thanks, Jim. Have a great day.